0: to be one of the major issues that the body, body of Christ deals with today and it's, it's a universal issue and it's uh, spiritual blindness. It's an interesting thing about the truths and the realities of the Word of God they are available to each and every human being that ever walked on the earth but well, there's only one way to receive them, and it's by faith. And so <clears throat> spiritual blindness is not seeing what Jesus has truly provided for us. And I think oftentimes we have that difficulty, we, we see something in the Word of God, uh, but, it, it, but it's like we're blinded to it. And so this morning I'm just gonna believe in the name of Jesus, that our spiritual eyes are gonna be open, that we'll be able to see the truth because it's the truth that'll set us free. Well, that's not totally true. It's not just simply truth that'll set you free. It's the truth that you're aware of, the truth that you know that'll set you free. The reason that so many are in bondage today is the truth is available to them but they've not received it. And as a result of not receiving it, they've not been able to walk in it. And so they've not experienced the freedom that is truly theirs through the completed works of Jesus. And so that's why it's so important for us to understand what Jesus has truly done for us. It isn't just simply about um, knowing about Jesus, but it's knowing about what Jesus Accomplished what He fulfilled for each and every one of us. Because when we become aware of that, we're able to take it and we're able to appropriate it in our lives. First scripture I want to share with you this morning, it's in, it's in the book of Acts, um, the 26th chapter. And uh, I'm going to start in the 14th verse. And what this is talking about is talking about Paul when he encountered Jesus along the road, the Damascus road. Now, the thing that I want you to understand about Paul, the Apostle Paul, he before he encountered Jesus, he was a religious man. He was persecuting Christians because he thought that in doing so, he was pleasing God. The thing that I want you to understand about Paul was, he was not, at this point, he wasn't a, a, a rebellious man because he was serving God, he was serving the king, he was doing what he believed was right but he was, he was misinformed. He didn't know the truth. He didn't understand the truth, the reality, of what Jesus truly accomplished on that cross. And so as a result of that, religiously, he was attempting to do what he believed was right. But in reality, he was, he was attacking what he should have been standing upon what he was believing in. And so, let's look at this. It's in Acts, the 26th chapter, and here's, he's sharing the account of it. And it's in the 14th verse where we begin. And it says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, because Paul, before he was saved, it was Saul, and afterwards, uh, Paul why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. <clears throat> you know, I, I grew up religious. Uh, went to church practically every Sunday. Went through all the obligations and the requirements of, in our group being a good Christian. There's only one problem. I hadn't encountered Jesus. Let me tell you something. Just like Saul here, who became Paul, when you encounter Jesus, something happens in your life. I mean, when you truly encounter Jesus, you can't help it. Things happen. The more and more that you're aware of what Jesus accomplished in your life, the more and more it produces a change. Not because of your willpower, but because of a transformation that takes place in your life as a result of the works of Jesus. You know, there's things that once never bothered us. That as we become a Christian, all at once, It bothers us. And you think, what's wrong with me? You got born again. That's what's wrong with you. And so things begin to change in our life as we begin to look to him. And so here's what happened to Paul. He says, so I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which will be revealed to you. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open the eyes. Notice what he is sent to do. He was sent to open Their eyes, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance. Did you catch that? Not just simply to forgive you of your sins, but so that you might receive an inheritance. You know, it's an interesting thing about an inheritance, you you receive it after an individual dies. Jesus died so that we might receive the inheritance of everything that he purchased, of everything that he accomplished in his earthly walk. He died, he was buried, but he didn't stay there, he was raised from the dead. But you know what, we need to understand something. Jesus was raised from the dead for a purpose to sit at the right hand of Father God that he might send the Holy Spirit to you and I so that he might might reveal to us the inheritance that we've received. Jesus is the only man that ever died and raised so that he could fulfill the inheritance in the lives of the people that the inheritance was for. That's what Jesus did for you and I. But what does he say to Paul? He says, I'm, I'm going to send you so that they, their blind eyes will be opened so that they can see that their sins are forgiven and that they see what their inheritance is. You know, there's a lot of Christians today that know that their sin's forgiven, but they don't recognize, they don't acknowledge the inheritance that belongs to them through Christ Jesus. And you know what spiritual blindness does? Spiritual blindness blinds us. Ooh, isn't that deep? But it keeps us from seeing what Jesus has truly accomplished for us. You know, I talk about religion and and. People say, well, you know, Christianity is one of that. But in in the true sense of the word, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's attempt to get right with God. Christianity isn't about you. It isn't about me, about us trying to get right with Jesus. Christianity is about our relationship with Jesus. And out of that relationship with Jesus, we come to realize our sins truly are forgiven. All of them. And we come to realize the inheritance that's been made available to us through Christ Jesus. We begin to realize what belongs to us. We begin to realize that truly by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed we begin to realize that Jesus became poor, that we might become rich. That's his desire for us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers in every area of our life. That he's come to set us free from every bondage that would try to hold us in check, that would try to hold us down, that would try to keep us from experiencing the fullness of what God has made available to us. And you see, the blindness of religion is that it gets us so caught up in self that we lose sight of Jesus. Now don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good, yeah. But it's the truth, that would, that's what religion will do. It will blind us to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing about religion, it, it sounds good. It looks good in the natural. But oftentimes what it does is it hinders us in our approach to God. Because it keeps us from seeing what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. You see, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. And so when we know Jesus, We shall know the truth. And you know, whether we want to admit it or not, every one of us, in one level or another, are still dealing with, are still wrestling with an element of spiritual blindness in our life. Because there's things that are in the Word of God, that we see in the Word of God, that it just just doesn't make sense to our minds and because we haven't put faith in it and just simply trusted in Jesus, we can begin to back off from it. You know, I've shared with you how, <clears throat> you know, I was saved. I remember going to Bible school, which was, much of the school was almost anti-faith. But I got a hold of this. We got a hold of this weird couple from Ohio. You know, I, I thought Southerners like Shelley had a accent. But I tell you, those folk in Ohio, I could not understand a word that came out of their lips. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. I mean, it was, whoa. But they heard about the, the, they had been studying this guy by the name of Copeland. And this other guy by the name of Hagen. I knew a little bit about Hagen because somebody gave me a, a book of his. And if you're old enough, you'll remember the book. It was, it, was a little, it, was, it was a big book. It was a red book. And it was this study of faith. And I started reading that book. And I thought, this is the most boring thing I've ever read in my entire life. All this guy does is tell stories. And he's telling the same story over and over and over and over again. And so I read maybe a chapter, maybe two, and put the book away. Thought this is... And so he reintroduced us to Copeland and Hagen and started to read this stuff. And and I picked up this book of Hagen's again, this red book on faith. But this time is the most exciting thing that I'd ever read in my life. Because my eyes had been open, I was born again. But it's like I was born again, again. Because my eyes were open and I could see the truth. You know, and so then we began to move in the way. We began to hear about God's... We'd heard about healing. But we heard about healing in a new way. And it was like our eyes were open to it. Began to hear about prosperity and... Our eyes have been open to it because we were told, you know, you got to be poor and humble. Well, I realize there's a lot of poor people that aren't very humble. (laughs) So the two aren't necessarily synonymous with one another. But I've met a lot of rich people that aren't humble too. But I've also met some that are. so it has nothing to do with it. So God wants wants to provide. It It was like my eyes were open. God wants you free. My eyes were open. Then a few years ago, we began to hear this fresh fresh message of grace. And my eyes were open. It was like I was born again, again. But it's about the truth of God's Word. And you say, we're only born again once. Amen. Amen. But you know, we can have our eyes open repeatedly to things and see things that we've never seen before. And there's times I'll approach the Word of God and I'll read something and I'll think, where has that been all my life? Why didn't I ever see that before? And I know that I've seen it before because I read through the Old Testament every year. I read through the New Testament two and a half times every year. I read the Psalms twice every year. I read the Proverbs every month. And so I know I couldn't have missed it that many times. But it's like I've never seen it before. Why? Because my eyes were opened so that I could see the truth. Why do we have to remain open to the truth of God? Because I believe the revelation that is available to each and every one of us is perpetual. That as long as I suck air, there's going to be something new that God wants to show me. And that's how it is true for each and every one of us. Does that mean there's something new that's given to us? No, it means that our eyes are open to something within the Word of God that we've never seen before. Because it's got to be founded upon the Word of God. If you can't find it in the Bible then you reject it, you set it aside. Because it's gotta be founded upon the Word of God because that's where error comes from. Air comes from either taking just one little tidbit out of the Word of God, out of its context, and twisting it to to fit in with whatever we want, or we listen to what somebody else has to say and we accept it as truth and it's not truth. Well, pastor, I don't know if that, oh, that, that happens very simply. Very easily that can happen. Most everybody's heard this story, how when Don Hicks was my associate here, he was my common, uh, commentary, if I, not commentary, what do I wanna say? Concordance, he was my concordance, and so if I couldn't find something, I'd just bang on the wall and say, Don, we didn't have any fancy phones or anything back then, <clears throat> I'd just bang on the wall and say, where's such and such, and he'd spit it out, and. One morning, we were at a men's meeting at Mike's dad's house and and somebody quoted this scripture. Something like, wise men feel to tread where angels something or other something. Huh? Fools rush in where where wise men feel fear fear to tread. (laughs) And so I said, I don't think that's scripture." And I said, yeah, I know it is. And Don says, yeah, I know that scripture. And so, you know, Monday morning we're we're studying, we're we're looking for that scripture, and we we can't find it. Got our concordance out, can't find it. And all of a sudden it hit me. And so I banged on the wall and I said, Don! It's not a scripture. It's it's a line out of Elvis Presley's song. Now, I happen to like Elvis Presley. But it ain't Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? But, but see, the point I want you to see in it, that's how easily we can get distracted. But what gets us back on path is when we get back to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the truth. It'll never deceive us. It'll never lead us astray when we stand upon the Word. In Acts, the 20th chapter the 24th verse. Paul makes a statement. He's talking about, you know, the stuff that's been coming against him. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, this is the message that I've been given. To preach the gospel. The gospel is good news. Amen? But how many of you know that in the scriptures... There's some stuff that ain't good news. Well, everybody's afraid to shake their hands. They're just standing there like this because they're thinking, well, you know, I don't want to give myself away. That No, there, 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 there's stuff that that isn't that isn't good news. You know, uh, there is a way uh, that leads unto life. And there's a way that leads unto death. Well, if you've got life, that's good news. If you don't, that's bad news. And so Paul said he came to preach the gospel, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is good news. To know that in spite of all my failings, in spite of all my shortcomings, Jesus gave his life so that I might have life. That's good news. The fact that Jesus took upon himself the stripes that I deserved, that his body was broken so that my body might be whole, That's good news. The fact that Jesus became poor, took poverty, was my substitute. So that I could be rich, so that every one of my needs could be met according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Not through my efforts, but by the grace of God. That's good news. It's good news. So, I hope what you're hearing this morning is good news to you. If it isn't good news to you, there is a way. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're entering into the way that leads to life and leads to life abundantly. In Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter, and we're going to begin in the 16th verse. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. You know, this this is called one of the Pauline prayers, Paul's prayers. And really it's a prayer that each of us ought to pray periodically over ourselves and over those that we love. And it says, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so, remember when Jesus was speaking to the disciples and at one point he said to the disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, one of the prophets or Jeremiah, you know, one of them. But Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What he's basically saying is, Peter, you didn't get this simply by somebody giving you information. It's a revelation. And that's what the Word of God, that's why knowledge of the Word is so important to us because through that knowledge of the Word, God can give us a revelation. Let me tell you, it's one thing to have information. It's another thing to have revelation of that information. Because what the revelation does is it takes you to a place where you had never gone you would have never gone before. It's a place of faith. It's a place of knowing that because the Bible says it, and I believe it, it's forever settled. You know, Harold and I were Pastor Harold and I were talking about this before church today and <clears throat> I don't know maybe it's because he and I are a little closer than the rest of you but we we're talking about heaven. And there was no uh, uh, fear. There was no concern. My comment was, you know, some days I'm more ready than others. And by that I mean, today, please. But why isn't there any fear? Because I have a revelation of the love of Jesus. And how he gave his life so that I might have life. And that life abundant isn't just simply for here and now. It is for the hereafter. And so there's absolutely nothing to fear. But you know what? There was a time in my life as a born again Christian where I didn't have that same understanding. I didn't have that same revelation. As you all know, in the basement of Vern Lewis's house on a Saturday morning, I prayed and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know what? Sunday morning I was attacked. Sunday morning I was told, there was absolutely nothing that happened to you. I can remember going places and the fear would try to grip me because, you know, I, I had a hope of going to heaven, but I didn't have the revelation of what Jesus had truly provided for me. I remember going to Ankeny and, and getting hooked up with a church there that they had what they called evangelism explosion, and I went through that. And part of the program, you had to memorize scripture and you had to put together your testimony so that you could share it with people that we would go out and, and minister to. And in, and in memorizing the scriptures, there were scriptures which some already knew, like John three sixteen, But we had Ephesians, you know, 2, 8, and 9 that we had, you know, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Let any man should boast, but I began to get the scriptures concerning salvation on the inside of me, so that I could minister to others. But the truth of the matter is, ministered to me, and it gave me a confidence, it gave me an assurance that no matter what happened in my life, I would never have to fear. But because I had the confidence, I had the assurance that Jesus had paid the price for all of my sin. That he was resurrected from the dead for my justification. And just as Jesus was seated at the right hand of Father God on high, I would once again, I would see him, I would experience him face to face. And you see, every one of us, as born again believers, need to have that same confidence, that same assurance. But it doesn't just happen. And you know, I shared with the guys up in prison Monday night, you know that when we first got saved, we we're so excited about the Word of God, there just wasn't enough time to read it. And of course, I read so slow, it was really difficult. You know, and so I, I knew people in the same boat that I was in that didn't get to the Word and they just figured, you know, the Bible is spirit And so um, my spirit is never asleep. And so we'll just take it and I'll put it under my pillow at night. And and I guess through osmosis or something, it was going to sink into your brain. Well, let me assure you of something. It doesn't work that way. It has to come through your eyeballs or your earballs, One or the other. It's going to come through one or the other. You either got to see it or you gotta hear it. And when we see it, when we hear it, truth comes into our life. And when we receive revelation of that truth, our lives totally change. Um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. What does the wisdom and revelation come? Of the knowledge the knowledge that we have of him may give to you, that this revelation may give to you, excuse me, I'll read that, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know his inheritance in the saints. Once again, there we see knowing the inheritance You know, you can have an inheritance, but if you don't know it, it won't benefit you. It belongs to you, but if you don't know it, if you're not aware of it, you won't be able to appropriate it in your life. Therefore, who is the guarantee of the inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention for you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the... I just skipped up again, didn't I? Well, I'm going to start in... Verse 18, because I don't know where I'm at. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. How does that power work in our lives? Because we believe. We believe that Jesus did, he accomplished exactly what he said he would do. In Proverbs, it says that in all of our getting, get understanding. You can get a whole lot of information, but that information doesn't do you any good if you don't understand how to use it. But when we gain understanding and we know how to use the word of God, So that God can pour out his many blessings upon our lives. In Hosea 4, 6 it says, My people are destroyed or my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Because of a lack of understanding of what Jesus has truly done for them. Um, They're destroyed. What we don't know can affect us and it can harm us. And so we need to know everything that Jesus is made available to each and every one of us. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and the third verse, it says. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine upon them. And so the world, it's veiled. They're experiencing spiritual blindness. They're not able to see the truth. You ever try to share the gospel with somebody and it's just like, went right over their head. You know what happened? Went right over their head. Why? Because they were spiritually blind to see it. We pray, oh God, save them. But what we need to pray is, oh God, open their spiritual eyes open their eyes so that they can see the truth. And you know what? The same thing is true oftentimes, even within Christendom. We've allowed ourselves to be blinded. We've got so a hold of a truth that we refuse to open our eyes and see what God has truly made available to us. You know, the day that we left, moved from... Ankeny, Iowa to go down to Goldman, Missouri to go to Bible school. My pastor in that denominational church he stopped in to see me and he said he said, Dave you're doing the right thing. I'm going to the school that you're going to. You're doing the right thing because coming out of our denomination out of our seminaries all that I see is a cookie cutter of the past. The same, year after year after year. Let me tell you about our heroes of the faith that we look back to, Wesley, Luther, Knox, all of them, even more recent, Wigglesworth, John G. Lake. None of those individuals, Brother Hagen, none of those individuals wanted us to take the revelation that they got and parked there. They wanted us to move on from there. Why? Because there's a world that needs Jesus. And they didn't accomplish it. And if we don't continue in the things of God, we're not going to accomplish it. But you know what? <clears throat> I believe we're a new generation. And I'm part of it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Has nothing to do with age. We're the new generation that are here desiring to usher in the return of Jesus. But if we're going to usher in the return of Jesus, those that need to hear, need to hear. And so we need to have a new boldness. We need to have a new confidence. And for that to be, our eyes have to be opened. Our spiritual eyes have to be opened to realize, to see that what this world has to offer us is nothing. But what Jesus has to offer us is so much more. The eyes of their understanding being opened, being enlightened that they might be able to see the truth. In, in, In Romans 6, 14, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. You're not to be blinded any longer. Remember when Moses came off the mountain, he glowed. The Bible talks about how Moses would put this covering over him. I mean, the glow scared the people. But he put this veil over him to cover him up. But it wasn't to hide the glow from the people. It was that they wouldn't see that the glow was failing. Uh, fading, and every time you'd go into the presence of God once again, there would be the glow, there would be the glory of God. But it says that the, the veil has been lifted. Why? Because the glory no longer lifts. It tells us when Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus cried out, and he said, it is finished. He's saying everything that needed to be done has been done. I've completed the work. And it says the veil in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies where only the high priest was able to go. That that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And it wasn't just some little dainty little thing. It was a, I don't know, I've heard different things. I I don't think I'm exaggerating. It was at least a foot thick, something like that. And it was torn in (laughs) two from top to bottom acknowledging that it was God that tore that temple that veil in two. What was the purpose of that? That the spirit of the living God is no longer confined to one little room. He was released so that he could come and live within you and I. We are now the temple of the holy spirit. He no longer resides in in some structure built by hands. He now lives within each and every one of you. And the the exciting thing about that is that the glory never lifts. We oftentimes, the glory, the anointing, we oftentimes don't acknowledge it, we don't recognize it. We become insensitive to it, but it's always there. And so that's why, I was gonna read out of Hebrews, but we don't have time, read Hebrews for yourself. It's not that long. But in Hebrews, it talks about how we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Now, I understand something. I'm from Minnesota. And so my education may not be the same as yours, but in Minnesota, when something's better, it's gooder. And so we have a better covenant. That means it's gooder than the old covenant. Amen. Logic. What we have is better. You understand me? What we have is better. And so, in Hebrews, it tells us that under the Old Covenant, they had to approach a priest or, a, or, or a, somebody in that position to intercede, to stand in the gap, to make the sacrifice for them, to have an audience with God on their behalf. Moses was that. Aaron was that. But under the New Covenant, the Gooder Covenant... We no longer need an in-between. Jesus said that we can approach the Father in his name. That means you and I, individually, we have an audience whenever we want to with Almighty God. That there is no separation between us and God because there's no need for us to go and make another sacrifice Because the sacrifices that were made under the old covenant, they were insufficient. They weren't good enough. But Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, who paid the price, because he was without flaw. He is a perfect sacrifice for your sins, and my sins, and for the sins of all humanity, I mean, this is boggling, but the price that Jesus paid was sufficient for every man, woman, child that ever lived, that lives, and that will ever live. It was sufficient. It was sufficient to pay the price for your sins and my sins, past, present, future. It's all taken care of through the blood of Jesus. And so we have the victory. Our victory is in Christ Jesus. You know, it tells us in Isaiah 119, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you eat the good of the lamb. They're eating the good of the lamb. They're receiving the inheritance was dependent upon their actions. Ours is dependent upon Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for you and I, we eat the good of the land. Well, obedience isn't necessary. Of course. When you have a revelation, you can't help but be obedient when you really understand and realize and have an understanding of what Jesus truly did for you, you want to serve Him. It isn't because I want something. It's because I have something. Why do we preach the gospel? Because we want something? No. Because we have something. There are so many people that have gone into the ministry over the years because they're trying to gain something. They're trying to prove something. They're trying to show God how much they truly love Him. But you know, we don't don't serve God because we're trying to prove we love Him. We serve God in response to the love that He's shown and demonstrated to us. And the interesting thing is when you have to, turns to want to. Everything becomes easy. You know, I, I remember. You know, Pastor Becky and I were, were our marriage was not in a good place when we got saved. Then I read through the scriptures and. You've heard my story how one day I was reading and it says, wives submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord and oh, glory to God. I'm not sure I was even Pentecostal then, but I felt the jerk. <laughs> I thought, there it is. If this woman would love me or submit to me like she's supposed to. We, would, we wouldn't have a problem here. Of course, I made the mistake. I read on. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Doesn't take a genius to know that Jesus died for the church. And so I realized, I have to love that woman. Whether she obeys me or not. I gotta love her. And uh, I tried, I mean look at her. Tried and uh, did the best I could. Um, Was not too talented in that area. But you know, at a certain point, and I can't even put a, tell you when it happened, there's a transition that took place. I no longer loved her because I had to. I loved her because I loved her. And so loving her was no longer an effort. Meeting her needs out of love was no longer an effort because, I mean, I I even shop. I mean, talking about Dying to self. I mean, sometimes I think it'd be easier to just keel over dead, you know. But how do we do that? Because something happened on the inside of me. I use that to say, some of us we love God, but it's such an effort. It's because you haven't got a we haven't got a revelation of who he truly is. Doesn't mean that we're not saved because I was married to the woman. But when we get a revelation of who Jesus truly is and of what Jesus has truly done for us on our behalf, all at once loving him ceases to be an effort to have an opportunity to share the gospel Ceases to be an effort because you would want everybody to experience what you've experienced in your love relationship with God. Because that's why it says faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. And the reason that it's the greatest isn't because love isn't our faith isn't important and hope isn't important. The reason love is most important is because love defines God. God so loved that he gave. And you know, when we try to give without love, it's always an effort. But you know, the moment that we fall in love, the giving ceases to be an effort. Because it becomes something that is a part of who we are. You and I, we have been created in the image of God. And that's not talking about our physical attributes. That's talking about the essence of who we truly are. And who we are is Love. And when we're able to love one another, faith then begins to rise up. Hope is strong in our lives. And at that point, you know what? Absolutely nothing can defeat us. Because when we understand love, when we begin to experience and walk in love, we begin to understand When the Bible says that God will withhold no good thing from us. Why? Because he loves me. God loves you. A lot of times we say, well, you know, I just don't know much. We don't have to know a lot. But you need to know that God loves you. And when you know that he loves you, you know that everything else has been provided for you as well. He withholds no good thing from you. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not done, but I better quit. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Let's just lift a hand up to him and thank him. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you, Father, that as we sang today, how we need you. But Father, we're not declaring our need for you from the sense that we need you to come because you've already come. We just don't want to ever forget and slide over into that area where we think we can do it in our own strength and our own ability and become blind to what you've provided for us. And so Father, I pray for these gathered here today and those that weren't able to be with us. Father, I pray that their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that their spiritual eyes would be opened to see the truth, the reality of your word that Father, we would not allow religion, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, man to hinder us, but that our focus would be on you. Father, we want to serve you with a whole heart, with everything within our being. We wanna be your vessels, we wanna represent you rightly in this world that we live in. So give us the appropriate words to speak, but Father, even more than that, help direct our steps so that we show and demonstrate the real you. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask that it might be sealed by your precious Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we'd not just simply be hearers of the word, but that we'd be doers of it. And Father, you have your way in each of our lives as your will is fulfilled we give you praise and honor and glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.